Good evening from Los Angeles. This is Michael Benner, your host for our Fearless Activism webinar tonight. I always like to begin a program by saying I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And yet for the last few months, uh, that's sort of sticking in my throat. So let me say I have mixed feelings about being here. I love doing programs about self-awareness, about emotional intelligence, about non-political alternatives to current events, about who human beings are, both the shadow side and the light side, the wonderful side, the goodness that illumines and animates every single being. But we do have a shadow side. Secondly, what we're for, which is to discover and reconcile that uh, dual nature. Why we're here? What does it mean to explore life? What is life exploring itself in the universe? And we use current events, always have for 35 years and then some, as a pretense, pretext for discussing personal and spiritual development. Now we're adding in, though we used to touch on this as well, but greater emphasis now on spiritual activism or sacred activism. And that's really where I want to begin tonight. I've got a lot of information for you, a lot of material. Remember, this program will be podcast in a couple of days. And about 20 or 30 minutes after we finish, we'll go into immediate replay on this site, this event page, this web page, this URL that brought you here this evening, if indeed you're listening online. And if you're listening by telephone, you'll find it in the, uh, the email that we sent you in the newsletter. If somebody passed that on to you and you're not getting the newsletter yet, simply enroll. All I need is a first name and a good email address for you at uh, my website, michaelbenner.com or theagelesswisdom.com. You can sign up for the newsletter, enroll for the teleseminar in either one of those places. And then you'll get the regular newsletter as long as you'd like with the links to each week's program and the phone numbers if you want to listen by telephone. And in talking about my guest, Andrew Harvey, again, I recommend Andrew's book. The title is The Hope and the subtitle Guide to Sacred Activism because he deals, as he did last week on this program, with the paradox of being frightened and concerned about our political situation, our socioeconomics, and yet to avoid becoming a mere image of the very thing we're trying to eradicate. For example, when somebody who is coming to you with hatred and anger, confronts you because of the contagious nature of emotions, you will tend to become angry and hateful. 
And so now we have the absurdity of I'm angry about your anger and I hate your hatred, which, of course, is ridiculous. Although, again, what's more natural? What we have to do as spiritual activists, those who are developing our skills and abilities as sacred activists, is redeem that anger and, if you will, that hatred. And at the root of it, it's all fear. By any name, you can say, well, I'm not afraid. I have my concerns. I'm a little stressed. I'm a bit nervous, sort of anxious, but call it what you want. It's all fear. And fear and the hurt that that causes is at the heart of your anger. Anytime you want to understand anger for any reason, look for your hurt in that anger and the fear beneath the hurt. You have to dissemble it. And hatred is an offshoot of anger. So in every case, it's rooted in fear. And fear, as you know, if you're a regular listener to this program, is not about danger per se. It's about what we do not know, what we don't understand, what we're not aware of, what confuses us, whether it's dangerous or not. Now, do we face danger? Yeah, I think so. But that's not what our fear and stress and anxiety is directly about. It's what we don't know. It's the absolute unpredictability of what might happen. So the antidote is obviously to understand, to develop the understanding that surpasses knowledge. That's my first point tonight, that Understanding is superior to knowledge, and it's not likely that you ever learned that in school. I know I did not learn that in school. It's as if understanding is something you do with knowledge, but how could understanding go beyond knowledge? Well, in a simple way, Understanding surpasses knowledge because it goes to the deeper, often hidden meanings, the implications and consequences, the the ramifications of knowledge, of what you do know. But even more importantly, understanding embraces an awareness of what you do not know. It's not something. Could you be aware of what you do not know. Could you understand that there are things you do not know? Can you explore things that you do not know with the awareness that you don't know them, but you need to know them and you'll be a better person if you know them? Whether they add to your knowledge or conflict with your knowledge, it doesn't matter because what you care about is understanding and truth. (laughs) It's a crazy idea. I want to know the truth, not alternative facts, but actual facts. And I understand the relative nature of things. I'm, as a career journalist, aware that, you know, beyond the agreements that we call objectivity, there's also personal truth and a great deal of relativity in this universe. 
academically, we often ask, when does slow become fast? Where, where does big become small? And you would say to me, well, that depends, Michael. It's a matter of degree. It's, it's all relative. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the point. So sometimes people will use that as a way of saying, well, there's no such thing as a fact. There is no objective reality. Well, there are absolutes in this universe and a great deal that is not absolute, that is relative. And we have the consciousness, we have the awareness, we have the understanding to go beyond knowledge and explore that information. And that's exactly what we have to do. Now, that's a joyful activity. And Andrew talked about that last week, about the paradox, the juxtaposition of being on one hand, very frightened, and on the other hand, as a spiritual activist, a sacred activist, filled with joy. And you can look at the glass as both half full and half empty. You can look only at the dark side of what is happening, and you'll stay awake half the night with fitful sleep and bad dreams of fascism coming to town. By the way, I'm going to define fascism tonight. That's one of the things I want to offer you. A relative, def- <laughs> a relative definition, of course. You may have your own. And if I miss some points, hopefully you'll send me an email, mb at theagelesswisdom.com, and let me know that you thought of... Uh, a way that Donald Trump is like Hitler and Mussolini. And for that matter, Vladimir Putin. We're so used to thinking of Soviets and therefore Russians as communists on the far left. A lot of us have a problem thinking of Putin as being a fascist uh, on, on the far right and even dealing with the paradoxes of Dictators on the far left and dictators on the far right having something in common. It's less a linear spectrum than a circle that comes around on itself. So autocrats are autocrats, dictators are dictators. Communist is one way of getting to an authoritarian state. Fascism is another way, a very different way of getting to that authoritarian state. But while they're opposites, they're also similar. Sort of like spy versus spy. I bring that <laughs> I bring that example up a lot from Mad Magazine, right? The two spies, the black one and the white one, they're opposites and yet they're identical other than that they're opposites. One of the paradoxes we need to struggle with. So I'm going to talk a little about fascism tonight and define fascism. But right at the top, let's get clear that each one of us, if we're going to not only be effective as citizens in a democracy, protecting and defending democracy against the onslaught of fascism in the 21st century, and also recognize the personal benefits. Uh, being an activist is good mental health. It releases stress and anxiety. And 
Yeah, you know, I, I'll go a step further and suggest it's even what we're for. We are agents of redemption. Our job is to uplift, to purify, to transmute. And in this case, we're talking about lifting our anger and those seeds of hatred that you feel and don't really like because you don't want to become like the haters, right? How could somebody who uses divisiveness and hate trigger in us a desire for unity that's so strong that we're going to hate our way to harmony and unity? I mean, it's just madness on the surface. So we have to redeem those emotions. You have to purify them and uplift them to something really sacred. Well, that's joy. And Andrew explained that, I thought, very well last week and how joy is different from happiness in much the same way that spiritual love is different from romantic love or emotional love. That program is being podcast at the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And if you've yet to hear the interview from last week, the 22nd of January with Andrew. Check out the podcast in the iTunes store, uh, wherever, Google Play, the Stitcher app on your smartphone, any of those places. If you're on the telephone live tonight, rather than on demand listening to the replay, and you have a question for me, you can press star 2 on your telephone touchpad. That'll signal me, and when I go to the phones, I can acknowledge you, unmute you one at a time, and uh, answer your question. And if you're online, we have a text box at the bottom of the page right in front of you, and you can put your question, your comment on the text box with your name and city and email, and be sure and hit the submit buttons, and I'll see it and address some of those a little bit later in the program this evening also. Again, I very much appreciate you being here. You know, one of the greatest joys for me, since we're talking about joy, of doing talk radio and podcasts and webinars is encountering the people who listen because... They're just the best people in the world. I guess anybody who speaks publicly, whether they're journalists or commentators or entertainers, says, yeah, my audience is the greatest in the world, but I'm not talking about my audience. I don't own you. I'm talking about people who are interested in, number one, the information, and number two, in being empowered and responsible. And when I meet women and men who listen to this program and others like it, who read inspirational literature, who have devoted themselves to personal development and spiritual development, it's like uh, finding an oasis in the middle of a desert. It's like, ah, a little water, a little shade. A little <laughs> it's like... Oh, kindred spirit, a like-minded soul. And 
we have to hang together. We got to reach out and touch each other. That's one of the benefits of hitting the street. If if you're able to do that, get out into the street. And if you're not, well, there's many other things you can do. And we'll talk about some of those tonight. By the way, while I'm thinking about it, it just occurred to me to mention that if you're in the Southern California area, I will be speaking to the Activist Support Circle on Monday, February 20th in Santa Monica, California. Beautiful, lush, subtropical Santa Monica, California, at the Unurban Cafe on Pico, starting at 6 o'clock. So you can bring an appetite as well. And bring your friends, like-minded people, and even those on the fence. Bring them along, get them educated. Let them find out what you know and what you're learning about the responsibilities of a citizen in a democracy when things go south on us. So again, that's President's Day. And this is an organization that I spoke to on a couple of occasions. In fact, I was honored to be the very first speaker 12 years ago of the Activist Support Circle. It was initially a project of the Alliance for Survival, Jerry and Marissa Rubin put this group together and worked tirelessly. It's absolutely free. Not a a nickel. You can donate if you want, but nobody's going to be at the door with their hand out. Absolutely free. I don't mean the food's free. (laughs) There's no cover, no cost of participating. Just come on in. I don't have the exact address, but you can go to the Facebook page for the Activist Support Circle or just read our newsletter. Again, make sure you get the newsletter, then you get all this information. Activists Support Circle meeting at the Unurban Cafe. They used to meet at the Friends House. They're down on Pico in Santa Monica now. And uh, I'd like to meet you. Come on out, bring a friend, say howdy, introduce yourself. Let me see your name, or tell me your name. Let me see your face. I get this straight. And we'll do some educating. We're going to talk about what you can do, not only, again, not only to make a difference in your local community and therefore in your state and your nation, but in your own heart and mind to stay sane and healthy and to come from that place of spontaneous joy and peace and connection, harmony with like-minded women and men and better able to tolerate the uh, through compassion and empathy, really. That's the secret, the people who just don't understand. Trump supporters are not the enemy. The enemy is ignorance and fear. I'm going to say that again. Trump supporters are not the enemy. The good Germans were really not the enemy. The enemy is the ideology of fascism. And that's based on fear and ignorance. That's the enemy. So, Love and understanding is the solution. 
And again, love is not just hippy-dippy, draw on the sidewalk with pastel chalk and carry balloons and flowers and blow bubbles. It's, it's much more than that. Love is understanding. We're back to that. Love is awareness. If love was merely an emotion, then love your enemies would make no sense at all. You're not going to go up to somebody who wants to kill you and hurt you and give them a hug and a kiss on the lips. Love your enemies is be hip. Understand, why are they your enemy? What did you do? How have you contributed to their hostility? How could you change that? How could you be a better friend, a better ally? How could you focus on what you have in common? That's the way you approach an enemy. So our dear misguided friends who are supporting Donald Trump, how do we educate them? We'll talk about that tonight, too. We'll just touch on a number of these items and then... If you're in Southern California, anywhere in the area, and can join us on February 20th in Santa Monica for the Activist Support Circle, we'll get into it in uh, even greater detail. Well, I'd like to compare Trump. Actually, it's an odd way of saying it. I really am not enjoying this. <laughs> it's not that I would like to do this, but I am going to compare Donald J. Trump to Hitler and Mussolini, Adolf, Benito, and Donald. It's like the Three Stooges. And you say, wait a minute, Michael, wait a minute. This is way over the top. Trump doesn't have uh, concentration camps. No, not yet. Although he talked about sending some sort of federal troop or National Guard to Chicago. Which, by the way, I checked the FBI violent crime statistics tonight. Chicago's not even in the top ten. That's a Fox News talking point. And again, I don't know what it is about the right wing. They don't like doing any kind of research. Maybe it's that they're just lazy. We cannot afford to be as lazy as the right. We cannot rely on any particular TV cable channel or newspaper or magazine. we got to expose ourselves to diverse and antagonistic media. Read everything you can get your hands on and, and, and be smart. And yet you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to burn out either. So here's a list of ten ways you decide how similar... Donald Trump is to the Hitler-Mussolini axis as I go down this list. Number one is hypernationalism. America first. This was a rallying cry of Americans in World War II before Pearl Harbor, before we got involved in either the European or Pacific theaters of the Second World War. And there was a great deal of sympathy for Adolf Hitler in this country, and Mussolini too. A lot of Americans really liked Hitler and Mussolini. Charles Lindbergh was one of them, though 
He struggled to redeem himself toward the end of the war. But America first was a phrase that Charles Lindbergh used in saying we should stay out of Hitler's mess. Yeah, let him have Poland. Yeah, let him have Austria. So what? Just like Trump saying, well, let Putin have these Eastern European countries. We don't care. NATO's obsolete. We're going to break it up anyway. Number one, hypernationalism. America first. Number two, a fascist is always militaristic and jingoistic. So militarism and jingoism. Strong military, big part of being a fascist. And of course, Donald Trump knows more than the generals. Number three, glorification of violence. Certainly remember the rallies, the Trump rallies, where Donald Trump glorified violence and told the loyal thugs in his audience that if they popped one of these protesters, he'd pay the legal defense. And indeed he did on at least one occasion, one situation. And he would talk about, well, back in the day, you know, they used to carry these guys out on a stretcher. I'd pop them in the face, right? It's bully. It's bully Trump. Number four, this is interesting because it's Hitler, Mussolini, and Trump in every one of these cases. You may not even realize that with Hitler and Mussolini, misogyny, and even more important than misogyny, which is the hatred of women, the fetishization of masculinity and male authority. Now, you may not be aware of what this means. What is fetishization? I remember when I was in college, I read a book called Race and Sex. And the book talked about this phenomenon. What is sexy about interracial dating? Not that all attraction to somebody of another race is part of fetishization. It's not an easy word to say, is it? Fetishization. But a significant percentage of it is. It, it's finding sexually arousing things that are not sexual. And this can help you to understand Trump and his obscene references to Megyn Kelly, uh, the Access Hollywood tape, talking about telling Mitt Romney to drop to his knees and he would have dropped to his knees. And I don't need to go on with that. But And then this whole idea in the right wing of a woman's place is in the home. And there are studies that show that women who support Trump really do believe they're inferior. And... Again, this is golden age thinking. This is Pleasantville. This is going back to the past. And that's another point. That's number five. Lost or stolen golden age. Hitler did this, talked about the old days in Germany. Mussolini did it. 
And with Trump, it's make America great again. It's the appeal for better times. Basically, when white people were in charge and minorities knew they were minorities, women knew their place, black people knew their place, Jim Crow's in place, we've suppressed the vote, right? It's a big part of fascism. Number six is simple, cruel, ruthless leadership. Just mean, nasty, violent, and hostile. Number seven, there's a strong anti-foreigner and anti-minority element in fascism. With Hitler, of course, it was the Jews. Just blame them for everything. With Donald Trump, it's Muslims, Mexicans, and African Americans. It's part of this appeal to white superiority, the great Aryan super race. And this is where... Trump and Putin come together, this desire to replace democracy in America and Europe with this great Eurasian fascism, this vision of Eurasian fascism where Putin is going to unite not just Russia with Eastern Europe, but Western Europe and the United States as well. That's going to be one all-white Right before people of color become the majority in the United States, let's preserve those all-white institutions in the United States, in Europe, and all across Russia, and create this, well, not unlike the Soviet Union, only even bigger. We'll talk more about this in the future. Eurasian is basically a reference to Europe and Asia where it comes together, to the Russia, to the old Soviet Union and its expansive imperialistic desires to replace the United States and replace democracy with authoritarian fascism. Number eight is a Hierarchical structure, as you could imagine, that sort of goes with uh, autocracy and militarism, dictatorship, oligarchs, and this includes the purging of the disloyal. So you've seen the whole top tier of career officers at State Department wiped out. You've seen the website shut down. The directive. This is in the first week of the Trump administration, the directives that scientists cannot issue any news releases about science. This is a move towards state control of media. Trump is facing this messy First Amendment stuff about freedom of the press and free speech. Doesn't like that, so... He sent out his lapdog. Actually, it's not that Steve Bannon is Trump's lapdog so much as Trump is Steve Bannon's lapdog. But in either event, we'll decide who's who's the puppet and who's the puppeteer. I don't want to mix my metaphors. But Bannon went out and told the national media to shut up. You are not the fourth estate. You do not have a role in this government. 
Well, in a democracy, the media, the media has a very important role, but in a fascist dictatorship, it has no role. So it is the enemy. Number nine, my ten points of what constitutes fascism, clownish theatrics. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you that Hitler and Mussolini were as buffoonish as Donald Trump, but the exaggerated, you might think, well, that was just the 30s. And, but all of the film, there's so much film on Hitler and Mussolini. Hitler's got his own channel. And <laughs> it's been 80 years, right? And he's got his own cable channel in America. There is so much film of Hitler and Mussolini and all these exaggerated gestures and saluting and Sig Heil and marching around and missile parades and over-the-top extravagant uniforms. How long do you think it's going to be before Trump puts on a uniform? We'll see. Time will tell. If he's smart, he won't. But there's no evidence that he's very smart. And again, we're dealing with about 35% of America that loves him, really wants a white dictator to put these people of color in their place and these women back in the kitchen. And 10 is the narcissism. Trump, Hitler, and Mussolini were all not just narcissists, but malignant narcissists of the most severe type. And this includes compulsive behavior, delusions, and an absolute lack of empathy. Now, I'm sure there's more than these ten but uh, I read a couple of articles real quick today and just threw those together. I say my 10 points are really not mine at all. But I wanted to share those with you. How long do you suppose it's going to be before the news media starts comparing Trump to Hitler and Mussolini? I'm not sure they will. I don't know that they ever will. But you can, and you must. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's talk about things that we can do and things that we must do. We've got a little more than 15 minutes left in the hour. Again, if you're on the phone, I see a lot of people on the phone, and you have a quick question, star two on your touchpad will signal me, and... Uh, if you're listening live online and have a comment or a question, put it in the text box and send it. I'm surprised it's still got a good signal, knock on wood. The <laughs> I don't mean to be paranoid, but I've uh, been losing my uh, Internet connection only when I do these. I have Internet solid, rock solid all day, every day, except when I do these webinars and, <laughs> and then for some reason I keep losing my connection so far tonight we're good let's look a little deeper into Donald Trump's pathology here because 
it's so easy to be overwhelmed. There's just so much, this onslaught. And I must say, somebody around Trump is smart enough to keep peppering us, machine gun, bam, 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 never-ending stimulus to divert us. I mean, who's talking now about Tillerson being Secretary of State or Jeff Sessions being the Attorney General or Betsy DeVos being the Secretary of Education or any of these abysmal picks in Trump's cabinet. Notice how that's just sort of disappeared from the consciousness. We have Supreme Court coming up. You've got that to look forward to this week. And when will Democrats get a spine? I saw a protester in Washington a few days ago. She had actually gone to a medical supply store and she purchased a backbone and took it with her. She was going to give it to Marco Rubio. She figured he needed one. I love street theater, guerrilla theater. (laughs) That's really smart. But like here in California, we got to call Dianne Feinstein. She's voting in favor of some of these Trump nominations. What is the matter with this woman? Get to call her office. If you live in California, it's real important to work locally. So whatever state you're in, work with those senators and your local congressman. Otherwise, you're going to get ignored. You call your congressman. I did the other day. The first thing they say is, what's your zip code? Because if the zip code you give them is outside the area that's represented by the particular congressman you're calling... They completely ignore you. They don't even enter you into the log. So you've got to, you know, that old saw about think globally but work locally. So this is a post I put on Facebook, and I added to it several times as new things occurred to me. It's such a lengthy list of... Trump's issues. I don't don't know really how to get my arms around this verbally. How do I, what do I hang this on? I'll just read it to you. Each and every day we must fulfill our civic responsibility, I wrote, to proclaim Trump's illegitimacy, his pathological lies, his mental instability, emotional insecurity, narcissism, paranoid delusions, obsessive-compulsive disorder, attention deficit disorder, his lack of self-awareness, the absence of empathy, his extremely shallow vocabulary, his inability to think critically, his fraudulent business practices, his contempt for conflict of interest and nepotism laws, his racism, misogyny, and xenophobia, his willingness to commit war crimes, despoil the environment, eviscerate public education, purge and gag government employees, promulgate fake news and alternative facts, undermine the Bill of Rights, kiss Putin's ass, and relinquish democracy to Eurasian fascism. 
somebody says to me, what's your issue with Donald Trump? I hand them that. Here, sit down with this, get a dictionary if you need to, and read about your president. I mean, there's no president or elected official at any level in the history of the United States that is that abnormal, that twisted and perverse. And again, we're only a week in, eight days. It's just starting. So, again, what's going on here? Well, clearly, this is not political. None of this is political. You could argue, well, it has political overtones. It touches on politics. You're expecting a response from Democrats because Republicans, most of whom opposed Trump before the election, are all on board with all of this. Remember when all the Republicans said a Muslim ban would be horrible and un-American, and where are they now? Now that we have, as of yesterday, a Muslim ban. American citizens with green cards, shackled like criminals at the airport, handcuffed, detained for days, not to mention refugees, victims of our fight against ISIS, grandmothers, Iraqi interpreters who have risked their lives to work for the U.S. military in Iraq with visas, two years of vetting, in handcuffs at LAX and SFO, and Kennedy in Seattle. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. If there ever is an impeachment trial for Donald Trump, it should be held at the base of the Statue of Liberty, I swear. I guess the big issue again is this and again, you've got to zoom out. You've got to read about Putin. If you really want to understand, you've got to Google Alexander Dugin. That's D-U-G-I-N. Sometimes it's spelled A-N. Alexander is spelled any one of a half a dozen different ways. But that's his name, Alexander Dugin. He's about 55 years old. He's been compared to Rasputin. He's, he's a professor in a Moscow State University now, but he used to be like Mussolini, a journalist. I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to say. And he's a fascist. He loves fascism. He hates the United States. He hates democracy. He hates what he sees as the elites and... Um, just like, you know, Paul Ryan is a big fan of Ayn Rand. Steve Bannon is a big fan of Alexander Dugan. And Dugan thinks Trump is just a fantastic phenomenon. And these guys are working together to replace American democracy with Eurasian fascism. A new fascist order for the new century. Nothing less than that. Study, read, Just do it a little bit at a time. It's not like you got to be an expert by a week from Wednesday.
but write down Alexander Dugan and Google it and read an article, one, one article a week on Dugan. Read what the right-wing media in America says. I don't mean Fox News. I mean like the Weekly Standard or uh, I'm drawing a blank, Buckley's publication. What is it, The New Republic? Drawing a blank on it. But see what the right-wing has to say. Conservatives, legitimate conservatives, you know, I, I don't agree with a lot that conservatives, real, honest to God, conservatives represent. I find merit in their argument. I don't often agree with them, but at least they know the difference between being a conservative and being a fascist, just like there's a difference between being a progressive liberal and being a dictatorial communist. There's a difference between democratic socialism of Bernie's type versus Lenin or Stalin or Trotsky. These are very big differences that we need to familiarize ourselves with, get smart, so that we're not going to get into rhetorical traps when Trump supporters start yelling at you. And you know what happens? Somebody yells at you and you get nervous and you forget your script and you don't reason well and suddenly the words escape you and I'm a professional speaker and it happens to me so I know it happens to everybody you've got to be well rehearsed and well read and, and well studied to get your rap down and practice it I think the most important thing we can do with Trump supporters is listen I've been asked that in a couple of different interviews that people have done of me. Michael, what can we do? What do we say to these people? I say, well, rather than say anything, I think we need to listen to them. Let them spill their guts. They don't have that much to say usually. Let them spill their guts and then acknowledge what you're hearing them say. That won't be too difficult if what they're saying is... I'm tired of the rich people making all the money in this country. I'm tired of income inequity. I'm tired of the fact that I, I can't get a decent job. I'm tired of the fact that I haven't had a pay raise in 40 years. And then they may segue into the racist stuff. I'm tired of these immigrants coming into my country and taking my jobs. Well, wait a minute. It's a slippery slope, but... If you listen and acknowledge, you don't have to agree to acknowledge. Listen to me carefully. People are afraid to acknowledge, to say, I understand how you feel, for fear that that will convey, and therefore I agree, and I will comply. You're not saying that at all. You're just saying, I understand how you feel. I don't agree with you. I have my own views. Maybe if you're courageous and willing to give me a chance to express my feelings, you can do for me what I've just done for you. Sit there quietly and listen until you understand my points. I don't need you to agree. I don't agree with you, but I do understand how you could feel that way. You see, people do not want to win arguments. They only believe they do when they're emotionally cranked up.
Nobody ever won an argument. Whoever said in the middle of an argument, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. Everything I believe is absolutely wrong, and you're totally right. That hasn't happened in the history of the world. What people really want when they argue and they get emotionally steamed up and worked up and start yelling is they want to be understood. They want you to say, I understand. They need to leave room for you to say it, so <laughs> sometimes there's no room for that, you know. There have to be some gaps, but when I trained the police at the Sheriff's Academy in Orange County, California, I called that the five magic words. I understand how you feel. They did not like it. They did not like it at all. I mean, most of them, some of them saw the wisdom in it right away. Some of them, the veterans, especially the guys that had been out in the field for a while, some of them were using it. They understood that. I understand how you feel. What a what an incredibly effective and powerful thing to do. Some of the things we're going to talk about on February 20th in Santa Monica, ways to avoid burnout, limit your exposure to the news. I was just saying earlier in the hour to read a lot of diverse and antagonistic information. I believe that, but not too much. Read, listen, watch. Cable news, you like that? All right, but not too much. Don't overdo it. Move your awareness down into your body, and when you start feeling nauseous or tense, take a breath, let it go, and switch to the animal channel and watch bunnies hopping around or something to chillax, right? Be careful. Limit your exposure. Focus your concern on one or two issues. You don't have to save the whales and the trees and the dolphins and the wolves and the wild horses and on and on and on and on. There's so many different issues. Pick one or two that you, I mean, be informed on all the issues, but in in terms of your work, pick one or two issues that you feel really strongly about. Focus your energy there. Thirdly, have fun. If you're not having fun, if, as I said earlier in the show, you're not being an activist from joy, if you don't see the silver lining, the unity, the harmony, the love, the happiness in a demonstration, everybody heading to the airport, yahoo, bring food. Bring water, party at the airport, or wherever. Have fun with it. Doesn't mean you can't be serious. This is serious stuff. But you can still have fun, love each other. Look at that women's march. My God, the biggest protest in the history of the world. And there was not one fight and there was not one arrest. Women don't do that. They don't fight, usually. And certainly not in a situation like this. And remember to take care of yourself. This is a good place to end. 
caregivers, people who want to save the world, who want to help other people and do for other people, often forget to check in and see how they're doing. Like, are you rested? Are you getting enough sleep? Is it good, high-quality sleep? Are you meditating? Are you contemplating? Are you reading inspirational literature? Are you walking in the woods or a city park or sitting on a bench looking at the flowers or watching the ducks float on the pond every so often? Are you eating real food, honest-to-God food, wholesome food? Are you moving your body and exercising? Are you hanging out with your friends? Are you writing and expressing yourself through whatever, poetry, blogs, podcasts? My God, all this media is available. Everybody can do their own podcast. Everybody can write a blog. Anybody can write poetry, letters to the editor. And there's so much more. We've talked about contacting your representative, register to vote, take voting registration forms with you wherever you go to sign up other people, march, picket, protest, boycott. If you boycott a company, I'll give you a good example, and then we'll conclude this this evening's program. Yesterday, when all the protesters started heading to the airports all over the country, Uber raised its surge rates. Lyft, on the other hand, donated yesterday $1 million to the ACLU to fight religious bigotry. Who do you want to go with? Are you going to call a car? Are you going to call Uber? which raised their rates when people needed them most, or Lyft. You know, one of the reasons I use Lyft instead of Uber is you can tip the driver. It's right on the app. When you close out the app and rate your driver, you just punch a little button, punch a key, and give them a couple of bucks, 10 15 20%. Just like a waiter. Uber is proud of the fact that you cannot use their app to tip a driver. And you're not supposed to. And if you did, you'd have to give them cash. And who carries cash? Very different corporate philosophies. I'm told that Nordstrom's and Macy's are still carrying Trump clothing. I'm not sure. Don't take my word for it. But... If I ever have an intention of going to either of those stores, I'm going to find out. And it's not enough to decide just not to go. You need to sit down and write a short little letter and send it and say, I was going to come by your store today and I decided not to because you're still carrying merchandise made by slave labor, people working for Donald Trump. And be respectful and professional and dignified, never any benefit in getting mean or nasty. Let's leave that to the Trump people. I got to go. We're going to be here next week, every Sunday night, unless there's a holiday or there may be some Sunday when we're not able to do this, but we're usually here live. I'd love for you to join us live. 
The more people that come live, the more likely we are to get some feedback at some point. Though we will podcast this and the replay will come up in just a few minutes on this same web page. I want to thank you very much for being here tonight. Really, really, really appreciate it. Save the date if you're in Southern California, Monday, February 20th in Santa Monica for the Activist Support Circle. Check them out on Facebook, just Facebook slash, well, facebook.com slash activists support circle. And uh, we'll see you there February 20. And next week, right here, Sunday night, online or by telephone for the Fearless Activism webinar. This is Michael Benner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. So long.